doubt can be as powerful a force as certainty. This, uh, this clip comes from a movie with the title, Doubt. Has anybody ever seen that? Have you, has anybody? Yeah? Okay, Blake Scott. Blake has. All right, good. Uh, it's a really, really good movie. Um, and what ends up happening is uh, the character that uh, Meryl Streep plays, she kind of exudes certainty. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character kind of lives in this place of doubt and somewhat uh, ambiguity. And so you end up uh, with a conflict between these two characters. And at the, at the end of the mu- movie, Meryl Streep's character ends up uh, in doubt. And she, she confides to Sister Mary there, I have such doubts and I just, I don't know. And throughout the movie, she, she leans on her certainty. But doubt, as he says, is as much a part of faith as certainty. And I, I think that's true. I, I think there is a place for doubt in our faith journeys. That it is okay and actually essential to our faith that we ask questions and wonder and become curious. So we're, we're starting out this, serv- this uh, sermon series called Faith And, and we're going to be exploring the intersections of, of faith and various aspects of life. So today, faith and doubt, we're going to talk about faith in science, faith in culture, faith in politics, we'll go through a, a whole bunch of different areas. And it's going to be important that as we go along, we foster an attitude of questions, of being able to live with some of these questions, of being able to ask them. Because it is in the questioning that our faith is strengthened. It is in the midst of those uncertainties that God actually shows up. It is in the midst of the unknowing that Jesus is present. John Wesley the founder of the Methodist movement, taught that you, sh- you should preach faith until you have it. And then when you have faith, preach it. Well, he didn't actually come up with that himself. One of his mentors taught him that. No, and one of his mentors taught him that after John Wesley had been a missionary to Georgia and had failed miserably in his mission to Georgia. And he had fallen in love with this woman and she had fallen in love with someone else. And he tried to excommunicate them from the church and wouldn't serve the communion. And and he kind of got kicked out of the community and he had to leave uh, under the cover of night and to escape and get away. And, I mean, he, he had gone to America, to, to Georgia, with all these ideals of how God was going to use him and uh, how he was going to make this huge impact. And he had for a long time lived 
a life of faith that was one of certainty, that he, he knew what he knew and there was nothing that could change that. Well, after he had experienced this great loss and this great um, kind of failure, he goes back to England and on his way, there's this massive storm. And the massive storm even rocks him to his core and he's unsure. Maybe God's trying to smite him. <laughs> but on the boat are some people called the Moravians and they were a faith community from Germany. And, and the Moravians sang throughout that storm and he was really, really impressed by it. But at any rate, he gets back to England and he's just not sure. He's unsure of everything in his life. He's not sure of the direction of his life. He's not sure of what God wants him to do next. And he goes to his mentor and he says, I just don't even know if I have faith anymore. So how in the world am I supposed to preach? And his mentor tells him, preach faith until you have it. And then when you have it, preach faith. And that's exactly what John Wesley did. He, he went on from that place. And he took the steps of faith necessary to continue following in the way of Jesus. And eventually, he ended up at a Bible study where they were talking about Romans. And one guy was reading the introduction, Martin Luther's introduction to Romans. And John Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. This is kind of the famous phrase of John Wesley. I felt my heart strangely warmed, and, and I was assured of God's grace. He had an experience of the divine in that moment. He had a personal encounter, I think, with the risen Christ. In that moment. And because of that, his faith was renewed. And in fact, his faith was dramatically transformed. The way that he went about his life, the way that he preached, was different from that moment on. That place uh, was called Aldersgate. And we have an Aldersgate Sunday school class. And ever since then, there was, there's kind of a pre-Aldersgate John Wesley and a post-Aldersgate John Wesley. But what he realized was that perhaps he had been holding on too tightly to a version of his faith and had not allowed God to enter into some of the questions that he had. And so that brings us to our story today. The story of a post-resurrection Jesus. Go ahead and bring up the, the first slide of scripture there. I want to read this with you. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them 
and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So this is kind of the first episode of this post-resurrection Jesus, or I should say actually the second episode. And as Lisa mentioned, the first thing we notice about this story is that the disciples are together behind locked doors. Mary Magdalene, as we learned last week and heard in the story last week, had come back to the disciples and said, I've encountered the risen Christ. He is alive. He's risen. And he tell, she tells him, tells all the disciples the good news, that Jesus is risen. And so what is their response? To go lock themselves up. <laughs> Instead of believing her words, they go hide out of fear. And I think oftentimes we set up this kind of dichotomy between faith and doubt, that, that perhaps doubt is the opposite of faith. But actually, the opposite of faith is fear. And that's what the disciples are demonstrating here. They have locked themselves up out of fear. See, they're in the midst of turmoil. They've, they've lost their leader. And now his grave has been robbed, they believed. His body is now even missing too. And, and they are really afraid of those in power that could do the same to them. And so they lock themselves in out of fear. You know, Thomas often gets a bad rap. Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas. But if we read this story carefully, what we realize is the disciples, the other disciples, doubted as well. They weren't sure what to believe. And it's demonstrated by themselves being locked up. That's not exactly a faith-filled response. And what we read just a moment ago is that the disciples didn't actually believe until Jesus showed, him, showed them his hands and feet. He shows up and says, peace be with you. Then he shows them their hand, his hands and feet. Then they believed. So what we, what we know from the story, what we can see is that the resurrection has done something to Jesus. He's now able to apparently walk through locked doors. <laughs> We're not exactly sure what, what this means for Jesus. He's, he's somehow in between earth and heaven. He's somehow in between bodily form and divine form. He, he has taken on this new body. And the disciples aren't prepared yet for this new normal. But Jesus' body still obviously bears on it the marks of the earth, the marks of the pain and suffering that he went through on the cross. So what that tells us about resurrection, I think, is that it may transform us but perhaps we don't leave everything behind from our past. 
that when we experience resurrection, it brings us into a new normal. So what we then learn is that Thomas was not there with the disciples in that first encounter with Jesus. So as we keep reading, Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So Thomas, I think, is expressing what we would all express. If we were not there, if we were not present with our friends who experienced the risen Christ, we would probably say something similar. You know, that's great that y'all saw that, but I need to see it for myself. I need to experience the risen Christ myself. You know, for for years I'd I'd heard about how great Cirque du Soleil is. And um, have any of y'all ever been to a, a Cirque du Soleil show? Yeah, okay, a few of you have. So I heard for years how great Cirque du Soleil was. And I actually had this little uh, book when I was a kid that talked about the kids that were part of the show, and I just was fascinated by it. But I'd, I'd never been to actually see a Cirque du Soleil show until uh, last year. And so I'd heard all about it, and I was like, ah, that's great. Yeah, there's acrobats. Okay, acrobats. Whoopee. But then I went to a show in, in Vegas and saw Cirque du Soleil and went with Mallory. Mallory and I both went. And it was unbelievable. It was beyond belief. But there is only so much I can do to tell you about that experience. You have to see it for yourself. That's what people say, right? You have to see it for yourself. Same thing with going to see a movie, right? I didn't see the Black Panther until I'd been out for a couple of weeks. And people have been telling me, oh, you need to go see the Black Panther. It's awesome. It's awesome. You need to go see it. And indeed, there is nothing. I mean, even if all of the youth had gotten together and had acted it out for me, it would not quite be the same thing. Even if they had told me the entire plot line and, like, acted it out, like, it still would not have been the same thing as going to see it for myself and experiencing it for myself. So I want to give Thomas the benefit of the doubt here. The disciples got to experience the risen Christ, and they were given the benefit of the doubt. Mary experienced the risen Christ and told them about it, but they still locked themselves up. Thomas simply says and does the same thing. I want to see the risen Christ. You got to see the nail marks in his hands. I want to see that too. I want to see that too. And unless I do, how can I believe? So he questions their experience. He questions the faith. And it is that questioning that actually kept him in touch with the rest of the disciples. He didn't break from the community. He stayed with them. 
he stayed with them and lived with the questions for a week. The questions of our faith are what drive our ability to have a deeper understanding of who God is. If we accept things at face value, if we accept what somebody else has given us, then it's not actually our faith. It's someone else's faith that we're borrowing. And until we ask those questions, we may not really be able to own this whole Jesus thing for ourselves. So I I want you to uh, get a partner. You're, You're close to people next to you, right? I want you to take a moment, take a couple minutes actually, and I want you to just share with one another some of the questions of Christianity or some of the questions of the universe or some of the questions of life that maybe you have grappled with and don't fully understand and have just always kind of been those nagging questions. I just want to take a few minutes and let's let's talk with one another about this and let's share with one another some of the questions that maybe we live with, all right? So just take a couple minutes. Let's go ahead and bring up the house lights. And uh, let's talk with one another for a few minutes about the questions that uh, kind of bother us maybe.
All right. So just real quick, uh, shout out some of the questions that uh, you guys lifted up. What were some of the questions that you guys talked about? The universe, yes. Yeah, that was one we lifted it up as well. How, how does this whole creation and, you know, science stuff work, and how does that relate to the Bible? Hey, guess what? In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that. I'm really excited about that. We're going to have a, 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 a professor from UTD who's a friend of mine, uh, an insanely smart guy, who's going to come talk to us, uh, and we're going to kind of have uh, what I'm calling sermonic dialogue around faith and science. So I'm really excited about that. What else? What else? Mmm. How, how do we get everybody in? Yeah. And who gets in and who doesn't? And how does that work? Or does it? Is that the question? Is that even the right question to ask? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I know one, one that I brought up was, what is God like? And uh, what I was uh, telling William here was, um, you know, for me, that, the answer to that question has morphed over time and can kind of continues to change. What I realize is that my perspective on God continues to evolve and grow and change a little bit. And so that question seems to always kind of uh, provide some uh, power for me. What else? What other questions? Oh, yeah. How... <laughs> Why does God make everybody so difficult and complicated and, you know, why can't they just all fall right in line, and, you know? Yeah. Why, why does child number two have to be so different from child number one? Like we had number one figured out. Yeah. So why you got to change the game on us with number two? Yeah, I know how that goes. And then number three and then number four. Yeah. Uh, that might just be me. Um, what else? Anything else? What other good questions did you guys raise? All right. Mm, yes, that is a good one. Why do bad things happen to good people, man? You could preach a whole series just on that. Um, and that's one I don't have in this faith and uh, series. Maybe that's one I should have added. I, it, that, I mean, that is, that is definitely a tough question. That is definitely a tough question. Whatever the case. Whatever the case, I, I really truly believe that doubt is a tool of faith, that questioning is a tool of faith. It helps us to grow. Rene Descartes actually turned this into a theological method. It was called the method of doubt, the method of questioning. And basically, uh, Rene Descartes would uh, kind of get into these conversations with skeptics, and, and he would battle them on their own grounds. You just continue to question and continue to question until you get down to the most basic questions. And that by deconstructing, we actually learn more about how the metaphysical world might work than by trying to provide pat answers. And actually, this is a, a healthy way to be, I think, in religion, that oftentimes when religion becomes evil is when absolute pat answers are the starting point. Now, I'm not saying that there are no 
final answers that we can come to, but that if that's what we're relying on, then maybe our faith is has got so much structure in it that there's no room for a bad thing to happen that would make it knock all that would make it knock all down. That sometimes Jesus gets crucified, and that wasn't our plan. But the hope in this, and, and, and you know, that, that creates a lot of questions for the disciples, and they aren't sure what to do, but the hope is in the resurrection. Because Jesus ultimately conquers sin, death, and evil. No, that may not have been part of the disciples' plan. It may not have made sense with their view of the world. But it ultimately became a greater vision for humanity than even what they had imagined. And so the real truth of the matter is we all have to experience the risen Lord and that you do that in the stuff of life, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the good times. That faith is a living, breathing thing that must be experienced. Faith is what puts us in touch with the divine. And that relationship is always growing. And that if we perhaps think the same way we did 30 years ago, that maybe we haven't been growing enough. That maybe we need to do some questioning. So, no, Thomas had not yet experienced the risen Lord, and he says, I I won't believe until I do. And so the story concludes this way. A week later, Jesus' disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, again, not sure why they're still living in this kind of fear-filled environment, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he singles out Thomas and says, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Leave it on that slide for just a moment. Do not doubt, but believe. The word there in Greek for doubt is apistos, which is the having being without faith. Pistos is believe. Apistos is without belief. Jesus sees Thomas where he is and says, I know you're struggling and I'm with you. See, I I am alive. Don't be without faith. Have faith. Okay, keep going. And Thomas answered him with a faith-filled response, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. That last line is for all of us. That line is for the Johannine community that is reading this for the first time. 
Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. And there should be one more. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. These things are written so that you may believe and have life. A living, breathing faith that puts you in touch with the divine. Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God, because he experiences the risen Christ. It can be easy to doubt that Sometimes It can be easy to doubt the resurrection. It can be easy to question all of the mechanics of how the resurrection really worked and how, what exactly was Jesus' body like. And, and ultimately, the resurrection is a spiritual question for you and for me. A question that's posed to us that we must answer with our lives. As John Wesley did, preach faith until you have it. And then when you have faith, preach it. Live faith till you have it. And when you have faith, live it. I was asked in my board of ministry interview a few weeks ago, where is the risen Christ located? Where is the risen Christ located? I thought about it for a minute. And I said, everywhere. The risen Christ can be found anywhere if we are willing to let the Holy Spirit open our eyes and open our hearts and open our minds, open our doors, open our lives to experience the risen Christ, to see Jesus in the people and in the places where we might least expect. The risen Christ can be found anywhere and everywhere. Just have faith. Amen. Amen. As the band comes and as the ushers.